Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome back, everyone, to the Schools of Excellence podcast. This is part two in our two-part series of the 2023 ECE forecast, where experts share their predictions and trends to set you up for success in 2023. In this series, I'm chatting with 14 childcare industry experts to help you look ahead in the key areas of your business and childcare. We're covering topics like operations, financials, branding, marketing, leadership, culture, and so much more. This will let you in on what leading experts in the industry are seeing and how to prepare your business for success and excellence in 2023. So last week we started and we spoke about operations, financial excellence, and marketing. In today's episode, we're covering leadership, culture, and branding. So let's dive in. So our first section is leadership and culture. In this section, I speak with some incredible experts. Up first, Rachel Sapala from Discovery Kid Zone. In our conversation, we talk about staff accountability and systems for tracking performance for improved staff attraction and retention. We talk about how to be transparent with your team and your clients, which are your parents, how to communicate, how to be transparent, and how to show up with confidence. We also talk about how to identify leaders in your business and how to build a strategic plan within that. This is a phenomenal conversation. Next up, I chat with Vernon Mason, who at this point probably doesn't need any introduction. In our conversation, we really talk about why you need to shift your mindset and how you're not going back to the quote unquote normal. Vernon talks about how leaning into innovation and seeing change as a positive is one of the hallmarks of great leadership. He also talks about why leadership training specifically for your directors is critical for success and how the model that we currently have for directors and leadership is broken and what we need to do to fix it. Next up, I chat with Lori Buxton from Early Learning Leaders, the Association for Early Learning Leaders. Anytime I chat with Lori, we always have a great conversation, but this one really blew my mind. We talk about the rise of quiet quitting. We talk about how to create connection through playtime for your team and why it's so vital for their mental and emotional well-being. And we also talk about how to get feedback from your team, even when it's hard to hear. Tough conversations are critical and feedback from your team is a metric for maximum and optimal performance. Next up, I talk with Beth Cannon from Beth Cannon Speaks. Anytime I chat with Beth, it is always going to be super fun and enlightening. And we also go rapid fire because we have a lot to share in that time frame. So in my conversation with Beth, we talk about switching your mindset to leading out of the crisis, not in a crisis anymore. 
we talk about why friendship is so important with your team and the community aspect. And this is such a great conversation. Beth and I have been, Beth has been a phenomenal friend and so grateful for her friendship. So this part of the conversation gets really great. And then we talk about asking important, but really tough questions to improve and better yourself as a leader. So let's dive into leadership and culture. Tell us a little bit about some of the trends that you are currently seeing happening in the childcare space. And by trends, I don't mean like what's new and what's up and coming, but more like the patterns, what we're actually seeing happening in the industry uh, today. So what I'm seeing is that we keep trying to figure out how can we increase our retention with our team members? How can we have better attraction, attract better um, teachers? And a lot of people are just thinking, let's, you know, raise our tuition or raise our pay scale, raise our benefits, you know, do all of these things. But really, it's not enough. And what I'm seeing really is that we have to bring back the magic in childcare, and we have to remember why we started in the first place. And that's when you're going to get those teachers that are going to bring the joy into their classroom. And when they love what they do, they're going to stay and they're not going to jump somewhere else to make that dollar more an hour or, you know, whatever, that one extra benefit. They, when they love what they do, it, it has, it brings a lot of value to them as a career, a, a professional. So what you're seeing right now as a trend is really, I feel like what used to be very much kind of the hot thing was let's pay more, let's offer more, let's do more on the money side. And what you're noticing now is actually that is not working. That is not a strategy. That is something that you could take into 2023. There's got to be a different angle. Right. And it's not sustainable either. And, sure. you know, That's as, amazing. <laughs> right. And because retention is so difficult, not, not just in childcare, I mean, in every service industry sure. right now that we have to remember, we have to make it attractive in different ways other than money. We yep. have to make, we have to bring back community. We have to bring back connection. You know, those things that we lost during the pandemic, these teachers want, they want to be awesome teachers again. They want the kids to love coming to their classroom. They want to connect with those parents and they forgot how. So we have to yeah. bring that back. Yeah, I would say people want to do hard, good work. It's innate. It's part of who we are as human beings. It's baked into our DNA and our wiring is that we want to connect with other human beings. We're social animals, but we also want to work hard for something that we care about. So tell us what you're kind of forecasting because, you know, the, the release of this podcast is going to be the first couple of weeks of December. What are you forecasting that we're going to be seeing when it comes to staffing or building culture uh, in 2023? I think we have to re-innovate. We have to be innovative. And I see that the ones that are going to be innovative, those are the ones that are going to have full staff. Those are the ones that mm -hmm. are going to be able to have full enrollment because it's going to be FOMO. Everyone wants to work there. Everyone wants to be there. That's how you become the provider of choice. The employer of choice is that you you take it back to what makes fun, what makes community, what makes culture. And so I see that the ones that do that are the ones that are going to rise above. And they're the ones that are going to be able to keep expanding and have these magical little childcare centers because everybody wants to work there and then everybody wants to bring their kids there. But it, it's, it takes work. You have to be creative. I mean, it's not yeah, easy. So let's, let's, let's dig into that because I always say I don't um, our podcast in general, we're not the tips and tricks podcast because those are a dime a dozen on Google. You could search for any tips and tricks. Really, this conversation 
um, short and sweet is really about helping you understand the right questions you need to ask yourself the right data that you need to look at and then go have a party and figure out you know your own tips and tricks so because I often find when people hear the word fun they're like okay let's make dress up Tuesdays let's make taco Fridays and I'm like no 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 that's not culture that is not what is going to keep your staff so tell us why Rachel why is not why is dress up Tuesdays not going to keep your staff because that might not resonate with everybody. You might have half of your team that's like, oh, this is so fun. And then half of your team is like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Why are they making me now. do like, this? I, I'm, or, I'm calling out sick tomorrow because it's dress right. up day. <laughs> or I forgot it's dress up day because I can't even remember to you know, come to work on time. And now I feel sure, left out sure. because I didn't dress up. Sure, sure. So I think a different approach is what we do is we try to hit all the five work languages, love languages. So every week we have some type of different staff appreciation. It might be notes, post-it notes on their door because they you know, like words of affirmation. It might be a shout out on the Facebook page. We figure out what resonates with each person individually. And then we bring that together in a big group in a community way. And that's, you have to know these people authentically. You have to know who they are and what, how, what makes them tick and who they work best with together and how they work and all of those things so that you can build that connection and community. How do you get to know your people better? What, you know, a director or an owner is listening to this is thinking, Rachel, are you kidding me? Like I have enough on my to-do list. Like now you want me to go get to know everyone's like down and dirty details. Like, no, thank you. So talk to me a little bit about, I always play the devil's advocate when I'm, when I'm hanging out with my guests, but even though I, just disclaimer, I am fully on board with everything that Rachel is saying. We have very shared value sets when it comes to building culture. But when someone is so overwhelmed and so bogged down and overcommitted, how are they getting to know their teams? We start with questionnaires. Like it's part of onboarding. So that's, you know, we have little tests and little Enneagram. Then we bring in specialists like you and Beth and Lori Buxton to yeah. help our team so that it does take it off of me as the owner and does take it off of my directors so that we know how we work together best. And then we have people on our team that we delegate that to. So we have a, a director of core values and her job is to maintain that staff appreciation, you know, for the whole company. And then we also have, you know, one of our assistant directors just said, I want to help with this. And so she's really great at you know, keeping track of everything. She's very organized. So she has everybody's work appreciation and how they work best and what not to do. And she's made the, these charts for everybody on our team. And as new team members come in, they add to it. So, I mean, I think it's about just doing things smarter at the beginning, work smarter, not harder by doing, you know, the questionnaires and things like that, but also bringing in experts and delegating to people on your team. You know, you might have a good teacher, a really awesome teacher that's great at connecting with people. Make her your social mayhem. You know, she's the one that's going to go around and get to know everybody's quirks and whatever, and then share it with the rest of the team. I also think something that's hidden here, which is something that's hard to explicitly share is this is Rachel's priority. It's her core value. Like you fundamentally believe in relationship building and gratitude and being there for your team. And so 
because of that, it becomes a priority in the way that you set up your time and your money and how you do everything. So I think the first thing to understand is you have to ask yourself, is this a priority? Is this something you're going to focus on? I don't want to go into the law of attraction here, but like when you put out into the universe that this is going to be something you're going to do, you are going to find the time, the resources, the everything is going to come to you because now it is something that you're focused on. So I think when you hear Rachel speaking about like, oh, and then she has a director of Corvette and it's like, oh my gosh, I want all these things. Okay, let's start with saying that you want it and then putting it out that like, this is something you want to dedicate to. So I, I love how intentional you are about the way that you're setting these things up. So tell us a little bit more, you know, when I think of a forecast, I often like to use it in the, in the description of financials because I think owners really understand that concept, right? So when I go to my CFO and I tell her, give me my cash flow projection, give me my forecast, tell me what's coming why those numbers inform decision making so can you give us a little bit about when you look at this forecast how can you give us some data that will help our owners make good decisions for their centers so if we go back to 2020 and sure. when the grant money was coming and all of this and back then i was thinking how am i going ppp you know it started with ppp right yeah oh so gosh. Back, PPP. yeah <laughs> and so i was thinking oh this is great but i want to know how i can preserve this in a way that's going to be sustainable for the future so i had to figure out forecast ahead of time okay i'm getting this much money this is this much percent of my revenue how am i going to sustain this when this is gone so i started raising rates at a higher level than I would normally do that. So I was, you know, going up to 10% every single year because I knew that that money was going to go away and I knew that those staffing costs were going to be much higher. So it had to sustain itself. So as far as forecasting goes, I think you have to be very consistent and intentional with raising your rates. And in order to do that, you have to be very, you have to raise your value. So your that that goes back to your culture. What is your culture of your not only your team but your families, your community within your schools? And do they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves? And do they feel like they want to support you and what you're trying to do for the the community and make a bigger impact? And once you share that and like you said it starts with what's a priority, what's your why? Once you share that with your parents and your team, there and you're able to share the forecasting with them like this we've had grant money this is going away so being just very transparent this is why we have to raise our rates at these levels and this is how long we forecast that we're going to be doing this for and then you go back to a more sustainable level so is yes. that what you're asking yeah for sure and and again these these things go in a bunch of different ways but let's talk a little bit about the tuition rate increase because one of the parts that no one has actually spoken about is the mindset around this because there is absolute levels of level 10 fears of increasing tuition rates where you know now they're going to leave now this now that so talk to us a little bit about some of the data around um increasing tuition rates like what is kind of i don't know best practice where you're like anticipate x amount of families leaving when you do an tuition increase or whatever it is can you give us some of that information so that owners can sit in their own feelings and then make the decision that's correct for them First of all, I was terrified when I did started doing more regular tuition increases and I didn't do it for a long time. And when I finally did, I had one parent complain, you know, and so then it started just becoming this thing. I think 
giving them ahead of time. So in our policy, it says, you know, we can raise it from three to 9% or more depending on what the cost of living and all of that is. So they know that ahead of time. They, we give them a 30 day notice as to when a tuition increase is coming. We explain why we're doing a tuition increase. So for example, our staff costs went up 19%. So we said, we're doing a 10% tuition increase because our staffing costs went up 19% and you know we're trying to keep up with the trends and all of these things. And then showing them, showing the parents why you are the provider of choice and having confidence in all of that when you're doing any of those, you have to have confidence. I think that's what it comes down to is. Right, and that's what I want to talk about here. Where, yeah. are they, where are they finding that confidence from? Where are they finding that within themselves to be comfortable to make those decisions? Because so much about leadership, and if I think about the forecast for 2023, the, the leaders who are resilient and confident in who they are and how they show up in the world are the leaders that play to win always. I think having your team back you is huge. So like you said, having that purpose, having whatever, sharing your why from the top down, then it bleeds from the inside out and having your team support you and back you in everything that you do. So starting with them and saying, this is what's happening, being transparent. This is what we need to do to keep up with the tuition and you know all of these things. So we're going to be raising our rates at this level. And at this level, this is what our plan is. So that when it comes down the pipeline and you say, you're the one that says, here, I'm raising the rates, you have your team surrounding you saying, yes, we're raising rates and this is why, and I believe in what you know my owner is doing, and this is what's going to keep our company going and even growing. So I think having your team support you is what gives you a lot of confidence. 100%, 100%. So let's look at my final question here, some action steps. What are some concrete action steps that our owners can take during this season to consistently prepare them appropriately for whatever comes at them? No one truly knows the forecast for 2023. We could do all the best forecasting on this podcast, but truly no one knows what tomorrow brings. And so walk us through some of those action steps of how we can best prepare ourselves. I think having a really strong leadership strategic planning from the beginning is super important. Whether you're an owner operator, you know, you're the director and you have an assistant director or it's you and your husband or you and a lead teacher, whatever it is, you have leaders on your team that are surrounding you. So you need to figure out who those people are, identify them and strategically plan from the beginning and say, these are what our numbers look like. Just open up your books and be honest and transparent with them. Start start with the strategic planning day and then go from there so that you can know where you're going. If you don't have a plan, then you're not going to know where you're going. So you need to start with a plan. Start with an action plan with your team and play devil's advocate. Like you said, you know, this is the what if this happens, what are we going to do so that you have that in your head off ahead of time your brain is already you yeah. know ready for things like that so yeah. i think yeah. doing that is i love that i love that rachel i know you're in a season of transition and there's a lot going on but tell us where can people go to find out more about you about the work that you're doing um in the early childhood world so you can email me rachel at visiontreeleadership.com and my new website is going to be launching in the Yay. next couple of weeks and that's visiontreeleadership.com. Oh, so by the time this airs, yes, be. exactly. Vision we'll Tree, have all yeah. the links in the show notes. Yes, exciting. Okay. Yeah, so visiontreeleadership.com is going to be my new website. 
And fantastic. About that. Fantastic. Yeah, Rachel, so great to see you and thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. The goal of this entire series is to really help bring great data, trends, and forecasting of what's what's to come so that our ECE leaders can make really great wise decisions uh, with their child care centers, with their staff, with their cultures uh, to really help us go into what this next year is really going to be all about. So Vernon, I'd love for you to kick us off here. What are some of the trends that you're seeing currently um, in the landscape of early childhood? Everything that I see when I'm out talking to directors and owners, everything seems to be revolving around staffing, the lack of staffing, the quality of staffing, the tenure of staffing. It, it all just, it, it, everything just seems to be revolving uh, uh, around that. And it seems as if we're swimming against the current, I guess you would say, in some ways. We still have some mindset of pre-2020, and we still have people thinking that things are going to get back to normal and thinking things are going to get back like it like it used to be and i think the, the 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 there's been this slow revelation of this this is our reality we've got to take the we've been handed this situation now how do we how do we go from here yeah tell me a little bit about what are some because I, I love that you're addressing the mindset piece because no one's really spoken about this yet what are some of the conversations or if you would say maybe symptoms of an owner who is still living in this kind of pre-world as opposed to the the current state of reality? Well, a, a symptom is that not being innovative at all, that not changing things, that just closing classrooms because they can't find anybody they think is a, a good candidate or losing yeah. staff members and, and complaining, spending a ton of time complaining about what's out there, what they're not getting instead of putting the work into how do we become something, how do we become a program, a company where the youngest people, um, we become the go-to place for the youngest people rather than, so we, we set up our companies um, as for people my age, right? That's sure. our policies, our, our, um, uh, our, what we offer them, uh, our compensation, um, our benefits, everything is set up for those people. And, you know, the youngest generation, are, are there, you know, many of them are not interested in a 401k at this point. You know, I, <laughs> like, I'm not going to be here in three years, you know, and that, that's also part of the mindset is, is we, ha we also have to stop beating ourselves up and, and realizing that people are, that people are not going to come and stay with us until they die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the mindset of my dad, right? He's like, you only get one job in your life. That's the job you're supposed to have for always. And I'm like, dad, like, no, it doesn't work. And my dad's not even that old. He's 60. Right. And he's like still in Anyways, yeah, that's hilarious. Oh, he's 60, so I could be your yeah. I could be your father. You could. You could, Vernon. That brings a whole other mindset. <laughs> Thank you, honey. I appreciate my, it. Well, you let me feel very old. 
<laughs> my dad got married very young. He became a dad at 21. So okay. I, I will give him that. Um, okay, so let's go to, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about this trend because I actually think there is a trend of complaining or a trend of Ooh. I don't have enough or um, mm-hmm. there's not enough staff or the the inflation is too high and so now I can't keep up with everything. Can you talk about that a little bit, Vernon? I think you're very uniquely qualified to speak about this because you've had centers through all different states of our economy. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Are well, you seeing a little trend of that kind of thing? Oh my, oh my goodness, from our owners, from the rectors, from the staff in our classrooms. You know, the world, our country has become the state of complaining about everything, right? You know, and it really doesn't get us anywhere to complain because when someone complains, again, put the energy towards how to make something different. You know, you're 40% more likely to accomplish a goal just by writing it down. So yes. instead of, I'm going to let you complain about it once, right? I'm going to let you complain. <laughs> the second time I'm going to say, let, what's the plan? Let's put something, let's put pen to paper. Let's type on what's whatever. Let's get something out there. Let's figure out what the plan is. Because when most of the time when people are complaining, there's not enough staff. I can't find the staff. No one is applying. And I'll say, what have you done innovatively? I love that question. What have you done differently? than your competitors. Because keep in mind, every competitor around you is in the exact same boat. Yeah. How do you shine bright? How do you how do you have your light up there going, pick me, pick me, come, you know, come over here. Right. What are you doing that's different than the other one? Right. What are we what what are we doing? You know, how are you how are you attacking the whole ghosting scenario when people come in and work a day or two days or a week and then they leave and mm-hmm. you're like, did they die? <laughs> they don't call back their phone is there's no messages you know it's like did they, did they use a burner phone when they contacted me what's going on you know so you know what are we doing what what, what are we doing differently and so you can't you know that what is it is it Albert Einstein that said you know keep doing what you're doing but it's a different outcome it's one of the definitions yeah. of insanity yeah but yeah what are we I, doing differently? I love that I love that Vernon so you know we when we understand a little bit of the trends or a little bit of the data of what we're seeing, when I look at a forecast, I like to be able to see a forecast that helps me make good decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at a financial forecast because it helps us see, here's your fi- here's your cash flow forecast, here's mm-hmm. your whatever it is. And that informs the decision maker or the owner, okay, here's how I'm going to use my resources. So I'd love for you to give us some insight into what your forecasting is really coming in 2023 in this early childhood world that can help our owners make some really wise decisions. Right. And I've got a couple of things to talk about. Okay. And we've all heard about quiet quitting and what are we going to do about that? Right. Well, what we have to realize is that the, um, the people, the workforce now, they consider more than just the pay. It's more than just the money that they're making. They want to be uh, motivated. They want to be appreciated, right? That is all part of the package. So, that, you know, we go back to the, that, what was that saying? A good day's work for a good day pay. Those days are over, right? Those days. I don't uh, even know that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what they used to say many, many years ago is we're going to yeah. pay you for your day. You're going to give us a good day, good day's work, and you're going to go home and be done, right? And that that's not the reality that, that we live in anymore. People, it is not, a, it, literally 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even up to five years ago, it was a bonus if you were showing appreciation, tangible mm, appreciation mm-hmm. to your employees, and everyone thought, "Oh, look at me! Look at me! We had a Christmas party, or we had a we had a professional development, and we gave out all those prizes." Oh, look at me! I'm doing so great. 
Well, now that is that, that that is expected. That is part of the norm, right? Yeah, so yeah. you know, we think we're going to think by that, and it's going to curtail things. But in reality, that that's the minimal. That's what they are they are expecting to do. The other thing that I said that I foresee coming is I think that the that the uh, public and the people inside of our industry are finally having a true understanding of the true cost of care. Mm. For decades in our industry, we have provided and we have stepped up to the plate every time a QRIS program came up, every time they lowered a ratio, every time they increased a teacher education requirement, et cetera. We just get, we, we, cause we're fighters. This industry, we are fighters. And every time they challenged to do something, we stepped up, we stepped up and we stepped up. But what didn't keep up with us stepping up is the reimbursement, what they're paying us, our tuition. And so now we're understanding, okay, we can no longer run our programs in a, on a stream, right? This, the programs have got to be, we've got to have support staff. We've got to have plenty of substitutes, plenty of floaters. We've got to be able to have someone to go in. We've just hired a new pre-K teacher and she's struggling, right? I mean, she's got someone with some, with some challenging behavior down there. Her co-teacher is out today because all of that is what happens on the first day someone comes, right? And we wonder why, <laughs> we, we wonder why we get ghosted, right? We've got to have someone who can go down there and, and be with them and can hang with yeah, them yeah. and give them that hands-on. This is how we should do it. This is, let me, let me guide you through this. Let me show you this. Let me tell you about the philosophy behind this. That's got to become our normal, and that takes funding. So gathering, um, the forecast is <laughs> you, we have to gather with our peers in our area, right? We've got to do a competitive analysis. What is our neighbors charging? What are the, pe what are the people across town charging? What are the people in the next town charging? We need to, first, we need to know what other people are charging. If they're not charging enough, we need to figure out how to band together, how to invite them to lunch, how to invite them to get coffee, and we're going to band together, and we're going to go up on our rates together to raise so, so we can support the staff in the manner which they have become to be to expect that level of support because this industry is too challenging to go about it uh, without the proper uh, uh, funding because we'll never curtail our um, turnover. We'll never stop the, the, the hemorrhaging of people uh, leaving until we begin paying people because that's what that's what they have come to expect. They're not going to come. They're not going to come into our programs. They're not going to give us a great day's work for a minimum wage. That's not where. Well, we are. minimum wage also it's it's hard to live off of that anymore, and and you know a little bit above that. So, so so many interesting points here, and I, I want to speak about one of the parts around what's kind of become norm, right? So like, you know, gratitude and culture and appreciation and all of those things have become expectations essentially of the owner uh, to give of themselves and, and all of those things are expected. So my question to you, Vernon, is, you know, when, when an owner comes to you or, or is, is complaining about, look at all the things I have to do. And the forecast is that I have to continue to do all those things and I need to pay my people more and I need to do all of that. Where is the hope? Where is the light at the end of the tunnel? What are those real action steps that our owners can take? Well, the first thing we know, the more you do for people, the more, appreci more appreciated we feel, right? The more uh, gratitude we yeah. feel. We often look at people doing for us, and but in reality, it's us doing for other people that brings, uh, brings uh, true uh, gratitude. The payback, the forecast here is once we realize what we need to do for our people, once we realize, once we understand 
that developing a relationship with our people, developing the support system for our people that they desperately need or craving will make our job easier. So one of the other forecasts I believe out there is that the owners and directors will realize that our directors have been spilling the wrong seats. Mm. Our directors have been glorified administrative assistants. They've been doing the food program. They've been doing the tuition. They've been doing the, the picture money. They've been reviewing the activity plans. They've been reviewing the attendance. They've been, you know, all this busy, busy, busy work where they stay in the office, right? And they get out of the office once a day if, if, if they're lucky. Our directors or and or owners, if you're an owner director, the role, the forecast is the role has to change. Yeah. Those directors will need to be in classrooms, not work, not covering, not in ratio, right? Not driving buses. That's what I'm talking about. They will need to be side by side by their team, with their team, supporting them, nurturing them, motivating them, applauding them, right? Helping them. And then we, so then we have to find another place, another seat to fill all the administrative duties that directors are going to do. So I really believe, and this is going to, going to seem like an extreme amount, I really believe we need to find at least 60 to 75% of what our current directors are doing. And we have to find something, find someone else uh, to do those administrative duties to allow our directors and or director owners to become leaders. You know, I if you're this. physically doing the work administratively, you can't lead your company. You cannot lead your program. Uh, directors, with the workforce that we currently have, directors almost have to become like, what were they called? Like house moms, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> you're right. Who who oversaw and was the one that knew? Okay, Tuesday's going to be a rough day for Sally, so I'm going to go down. And I'm going to hang with Sally for a little while and you know, Wednesday, you know, with it, whatever, they know all the nuances that's going on in the program and just miraculously happen to be right where they need to be at the, at the, at the right time. Right. You know? Um, and so that, that's where I think that, that we have to, to provide good quality care to maintain our staffing, to maintain a, a healthy culture. I believe that's what, what it's going to take to get us there. I think you're saying something so fascinating, Vernon, just, and again, this is a big disruption in the market. I, I talk about this a lot as well in that even just the, even in running a basic household, right? Like taking something as that, which is a little less daunting or more daunting, whatever it is than running, you know, 50 or it's 25 teachers under you. But the reason I have someone who does all the admin kind of domestic work in my house is because this morning I spent 15 minutes just cozying with my four-year-old like he's like i'm not done i need more mama time i need more hugs i'm not done and i needed to sit with him he needed me but someone else had to make breakfast someone else needed to like do the things and so it's the same thing in in your center i love that ratio this you know removing 60 percent of their admin work and, and hiring ops assistants or whatever it is the directors have to be the mentors the coaches and the guides and so they're not the people doing the work, they're the people that are modeling and then guiding, you know, the staff to do that. So I, I think this is spot on. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I really believe that's where we are. That's what our workforce is expecting. Yeah. And that's why, you know, ask the teachers in the classrooms, what is, what's missing? What's not right? You know, they'll lead you down several different paths. And one of them always, always right revolves around feeling unsupported. Yeah. 
yeah. lack of communication, right? And both of those are heavy topics for, for classroom staff. And so this putting a director in that role uh, definitely helps fix those scenarios. So my, my last question to you from an action step perspective is I know a lot of owners are listening to this and saying, Vernon, that's a great idea, but I need to train my director to even become that role model, to become that mentor, to become that guide. What, what advice do you have to that? Leadership training. Absolutely. They, because directors again have been pushed into this glorified administrative assistant role, right? And getting them to understand what leadership even means, right? You know, and I talked about it at your conference how yeah. that directors are fixers of everything. So every problem goes to the director, every problem is put to them, and the director just fixes it, fixes it, fixes it, fixes it. That is the first place to start. Is training your people how to how to handle uh, scenarios. I love that. I love that, Vernon. What are kind of your 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 last thoughts here? In as you know, because the time of the release of this podcast will be the first two weeks of December. So most people will listen to this either over their holiday break or right before they're closing down for the holidays. Can you give us some hope or some mindset where, because I know a lot of people are listening to this in in places of despair, really struggling, really having a hard time. Can you provide some some hope and and optimism that it's not all doom and gloom? Yes, yes, and it's not doom and gloom. It is really real, and you realize that things aren't going to get back to what you think is normal, and you can't just do same stuff that you used to do and be successful. Because success means new ideas and changes and learning and and what's coming and 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 planning for changes. So, what I would tell you to 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 show you some great out of the box thinking is start with working your budget backwards. Mm. What do you want, right? Start with what do you want? You want you want you want how many substitutes? You want how many floaters? You want how many um, curriculum specialists? You want to write right and and then develop that into a into a budget of what this is. This would be like my amazing plan here of my staffing of how I run my school, and then back it down into your tuition to see how far you off, and then you have a goal to work your way back to. Okay, so this year mm-hmm. we're going to add Great. this year. This year we're going to add the education coordinators, and the next year we're going to add the, you know, the whatever the next the next layer of is. But having goals uh, of what where you want to be, and when you have a destination in mind, it seems easier to get there rather than just frolicking along, not knowing where you're going, trying to survive the day. You know, when you're when you move beyond trying to survive the day and try to get to this destination that you've planned out. It I love it. I love it. Vernon, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people go to find out more about the work that you're doing in the childcare world? Um, well, you know, honey, I am really, <laughs> I am so bad about PR, uh, about publicizing. I don't really, the only thing I really am doing right now is I do speaking engagements. I'm actually yeah. headed to Reno tomorrow to do the Reno Child Care Association keynote. And um, so that's what I do. I go around and do professional development for child care companies and state associations and national uh, e- events. I do host one annual event. I have a Key West conference that's two and a half days. It'll be in April of next year, April 18th, 19th, and 20th. It's two and a half days of fun and laughter and learning and peer groups and sharing and brainstorming. And we just have, have a great time. And if you want information about that, you can email me Vernon Directors Leadership at gmail.com. Vernon, V E R N O N, Directors Leadership at gmail.com. We'll have his email in the show notes in, in case you're driving now. Can't write yes. so, no worries on that. Awesome. Thanks. Vernon, thanks so much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, really, really Good to see you. Yeah, thanks. always good to see you. Take care, my friend.
to have here with me my good friend and good friend and mentor, Lori Buxton. And I want to jump right into my first question around what are some of the trends that you're seeing in the industry right now from your unique vantage point and perspective as a leader in this industry? So thank you so much for letting me be part of this very special podcast series. And, and I, first of all, thank you. I'd never considered myself your mentor. I kind of considered it to be the other way around. So that was a, wow, that was a huge compliment. Thanks. Okay. So this conversation and this kind of trend just came across my radar yesterday. So this is brand new, fresh, hot off Lori's presses anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Some of you may already be aware of this, but it was a little bit of a concerning um, observation that I think we need to have on our radar. So I came across this term called quiet quitting. And I'm like, okay, well, what is that? And the, the gist of the conversation that I had with a colleague was that this is becoming a more common trend with our younger leaders. And it's a trend that we need to take a closer look at. And I'm going to give you like a really Reader's Digest version of what it means, because it's different from the great resignation that we experienced through COVID. So this quiet quitting, what they're saying is that it's a stepping back from the hustle culture that we often experience. And I would say that's especially present in our field, but this hustle culture without actually leaving or resigning. So practically what that means is that they're showing up and they're doing the job as outlined in a job description, but they're not as inclined, inspired, compelled, um, motivated, whatever words you want to insert to do the above and beyond. Now, the knee-jerk reaction to some more seasoned leaders who come from a culture of, you know, put me in, coach, whatever you need, whatever you need, I'm there for you, is to say, well, you know, they're being soft or they're being lazy or they're being things that, you know, and these are not maybe conversations that we have in public, but but we think these things. And if we're thinking them, then it's affecting our attitudes and our behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so if our knee-jerk response is, well, they just need to get over it, we're going to create some mountains where we could have been dealing with molehills in the relationships that we have with our people. Um, and one of the things that I found most interesting and why this matters to us as leaders is that the reason they're approaching this retreat from the hustle culture is because they're seeing the short and long-term effects that it's having on the people that they follow. Their seasoned leaders are exhausted. And I've been, you know, we were talking in the green room. I've been on the road a lot this season. And I've been with small teams. I've been with large groups and just about everything in between. And I am seeing a very persistent and consistent theme of very tired and exhausted leaders owners, executive leaders, the ones that are really making the decisions and living life at 20, 30,000 feet. Yeah. And if I'm seeing it in this just real microcosm of time with them, then what are the people who are with them day in, day out seeing? And what are they experiencing in the outflow of exhaustion and burnout and the overwhelm? And when they see that, it's like trying to sell this leadership and this growth opportunity you you are really such a proponent of creating growth opportunities you know yeah and yeah and the and that's wonderful and I believe that too but if the proposition looks like somebody that's dying of their job 
how many people are going to raise their hand for that? And I think that we have to really take a look at that, not just, you know, at a glance, but take a deeper dive into what we can do to affect change there because our, our staffing concerns continue. And we have to ask people to step up and to step in and to lean in and all these things. But if, if they're not motivated and inspired to do that and they're showing up with this quiet quitting position, that's going to become a real problem down the road. I have so many thoughts from what you shared, Lori. And I, and I first, I, I want to say something that one of the reasons why I really view you as a friend and as a mentor is because you aren't afraid to have conversation where you don't know every single part of how to fill the gaps in those conversations. Mm -mm. Sometimes we may be afraid, or I find leaders might be afraid to speak up if they don't have every answer or every comeback to every question. Find that level of courageousness from you really inspiring and bold where it's like, okay, here's information that I have. I want to share with you, but I don't have every single answer to that. And so that, that's one of the reasons that I appreciate our friendship so much. One of the things that I'm hearing from what you're saying is that the trend that we're noticing now is, you know, people are waking up, right? We, we saw that in resignation. We saw that in, in so much of the moving parts that happened in the aftermath of COVID. And a lot of what young and old people are saying, is this worth it? Is this what mm. I want? Is this part of my legacy? Is this the choices that I want to make in this one precious life that I have? Right. And as with anyone, we look to people that are older and wiser, have walked through the, you know, the, 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 the path. And we look at them and we're like, okay, they are miserable, tired, exhausted, mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Is that the road that I'm about to walk on? Is that yeah. what this promotion will give me at the end of this? No, thank you. Right. So, you know, it's so interesting because 10 minutes before we jumped on, I actually reached out to one of the owners that I work with gosh, since 2017 at this point. And she messaged me. She's like, uh, I'm sorry, it's a director. She said, this is going to be my last year. Mm. I was like, what happened? Like she's been with that school, gosh, 20 years. And she's like, this job is not good for my mental health. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. She had to run into a classroom because they're short stuff. So I didn't get to really finish the conversation with her, but gosh, how timely is it for this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in what's going on. So, so, my my question to you, Lori, would be is, if this is what we're seeing right now, how, how do you anticipate a leader should be thinking about some of the decisions and choices that they're making as they enter 2023? Because this series will be released in the beginning of December. Um, what should they be thinking about based on this new insight and information that you just shared with us? So I'm... Um- that's a very good question. And I, I've really been thinking about that for the last 24 hours as this hit my radar. Mm. Um, one of the things, and this has been kind of a platform for me and, you know, we do our lead events, our regional yeah. events, and this has been a platform for a theme, if you will, for that lead event. And it's the be curious, not judgmental yeah. position as a leader. And I think in this instance, especially, I think that's going to be important because we can't stop at what we think about. Maybe that isn't what we would do or how we would feel. So what? We're not talking about you. We're talking about this person that you're asking to make an investment in your company, make an investment in your school, in your program. And so we, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not that's the way we would do it or the way we grew up or the, the culture we, we 
you know, ascribed to as a leader, it really matters how they feel about it because how they feel about it and what they believe about it is how they're going to show up. And so starting to look at it instead of from a, uh, an assessment judgment position, we need to be more curious. Okay. I want to understand why you feel that way. I want to understand, you know, and, and this is going to, you know, me and my mirror time. And, yep. and this is going to really require some mirror time for leaders. What am I projecting out there? What is the, the investment proposition that I'm putting out for public display? Do I look like I just rolled out from underneath my car when I come in in the morning because I didn't get any rest the night before or because I was up at three o'clock in the morning running my business because from six to six, I'm in classrooms trying to keep the wheels on the bus going around. Now, I don't have all the answers for, for the shortages in our classrooms, but I do know that we have to take a look at how we're showing up as leaders and what our people are seeing, what they're experiencing. Because when yeah. we show up burnout, there is a, there's a cause and effect there. Um, you know, my husband and I boat, you know, and there's there's a wake when your boat moves through the water. There's a wake that mm -hmm. comes behind your boat. And that's mm -hmm. true of leadership, too. When you walk into the building, there is a wake that lives behind your attitude, yeah. your state of health. And that's all aspects of health, your state of inspiration, your state of motivation. And how are we showing up? Because we're setting I mean, we're setting the bar. Yeah, You're, it, it's it's so interesting. I was talking uh, with uh, a parenting expert who we want to bring onto um, into our membership, and she was talking about how the the parents' um, internal temperature for how much they allow themselves to experience joy and mm -hmm. pleasure and fulfillment that sets the internal temperature of the kids in the home. Like, oh, this mm -hmm. is how much joy I'm allowed to experience. So if I experience more joy than what I'm used to in, you know, from what I grew up in, I push it away. I sabotage, I dismiss it. Right. And so this, it just, gosh, it's so timely here. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm thinking like, how does the leader um, expand their capacity level and their own temperature for modeling joy happiness, fulfillment, gratitude, curiosity in as, as they're role modeling that to the team. Well, so, you yeah. want to, you want to hear my current, this, this is my current thing. Yeah. So, so let me just tell you that these grownups and I say these grownups, including myself, we need to remember, <laughs> we need to remember how to play. We need to remember yeah. how to laugh. Yeah. We need to be willing, you know, teams that play together, stay together. That's what oh, we yeah. think. Oh, yeah. And um, we have, okay, so I'm going to share this super, I'm telling you, I need to be, they need to use me as their person, their representative, <laughs> but I don't know if you've heard of the game Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza, nope. but it is, oh, oh, you need some of this in your life. It is a card game that's like um, a 21st century slapjack with twists. Ooh, and it is, it, it is fall off your chair, run to the bathroom fun. Okay. <laughs> and my 12 year old angst ridden granddaughter shared this game with me when I was in Oklahoma city in June. And, um, she doesn't have find anything in the world to be fun right now because she's, you know, a preteen, but she <laughs> loves this game. And I have introduced this game everywhere I've been. And I'm going to tell you their sales have gone through the roof. But the point of it is, is that when you get into a situation where you can laugh, when yep. all of the good chemicals are released and you're doing it in this team environment, you make connections that last so long 
and yeah. so deeply. Whether you, you know, if you don't have anything else in the whole wide world in common, laughing together creates connection. And so we have been incorporating very intentionally into all of our gatherings play for the grownups yeah. because the grownups have forgotten how. And when those, I mean, just, you know, in the morning, do something that's going to make you laugh. Listen to somebody that makes you smile. Listen, you know, those, those inputs, those uploads change everything. And it changes what your wake looks like when you're walking through the door. You know, it changes a situation that could, you know, come across your radar and completely take your wind out of your sails and turns it into an opportunity to, to look for the good instead of the bad, for look for the opportunity instead of the challenge, because your whole perspective, your whole position has changed. I love you just shared the, the first thought that came to my mind was we should have like some comedy links where leaders Heck yeah. watch comedy before they go out and have a difficult conversation or before they Heck go into yeah. dismissal or whatever. Go watch yes. that minute from Seinfeld or I don't know, whatever makes you laugh. Yeah. Well, um, and the science supports that oh, adult yeah. learners um, are much more successful yeah. when they're in an environment yeah. that is filled with joy, happiness, and laughter. That when those chemicals are released, that those that that the glue becomes so much richer and so much more effective for information yeah. to stick for experiences to stick and so if it's good for children why in the world wouldn't it be for good for grown-ups but you what you said was so true that we self-sabotage and we take away permission from ourselves and from yeah. the people around us to be able to engage in that because well that's you know you can be a professional i consider myself to be extremely professional but i also know how to have fun I know how to play. And in fact, that actually elevates my level of professionalism because when I show up, I can be the best version of myself. So I have an interesting thought from, from what you're sharing here. And I'm, sure. because I, I'm thinking about this path where I'm envisioning kind of the young leader and she's looking through the forest. And at the end of the forest, she sees this haggard, burnt out, tired leader. And she's like, I don't want to go down this path, right? right and right. so I'm thinking about something that I talk about often is reducing commitments, reducing the amount of things you say yes to, um, having more white space on your calendar, because truly those are the things, like the more committed we are, the more frazzled we are, the more, uh, the less attention we have. And what I found is anytime I bring this up, the I, I don't think I've ever gotten so much pushback more to a statement like this, like, can you reduce some commitments? The pushback okay. is intense. It's like, it no, I know why we have to do everything. We have to do after school program and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, take one thing off your plate. One. Just yeah, just one. one. Just one. And see what <laughs> so happens and see if the world. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. I think. Tell me. That, let's talk. Well, I think one of them is that there's an element of we've always done it this way. It's always been this way. And so this is the way it's going to be until the end of the world. And so they're <laughs> unwilling to let loose of things that have become just ingrained in default. But I also think that there's an element and we really need to take a look at this. And you and I've had some conversations about this before is how much of our debt, our identity, our yeah and our value are tangled up yeah. in our calendar. Yeah. Tangled up in yeah. the jobs, Zenith. the tasks. Yeah. 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 Because that's where you're sourcing your worth, your value, your contribution, your purpose, and your meaning. That is a huge problem because it will never be enough. It becomes this black hole. Yes. 
Yes. And I'm just going to leave that answer at that because I, I, I want our listeners to just kind of sit with that. You know, mm-hmm. we the interview that we did, and I believe we repurposed that Facebook Live on our podcast, Where yes. Do You Find Significance? So I'm going to link that here in the show notes so you guys can go and listen to that conversation that Lori and I that was had. That's a good one we had. So, that's oh, one of our favorites. So good. Yes, that's why I repurposed on the show. I'm like, no, no, this needs to be a podcast episode also. It's, it's, I think it's titled, Where Do You Find Significance? So so let me ask you, Lori, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're just about wrapping up here. What are some concrete action steps? So I would say the first stop is sit down and have some real conversations with your team. And don't be afraid of the answers. Give them permission to speak honestly, transparently, without any judgment, without any you know, retaliation or, or, you know, consequence or anything. It needs to be a safe space for them to share. Bring up, you know, say, hey, this has come across my radar, this quiet quitting. And I just want to see, you know, and, and unpack it and say, you know, I just want to understand where you are. And, you know, if this is a place where you are, I want to talk about that because wow, I want you to think about someone who's in a quiet quitting space. Where is their sense of purpose in there? And where yeah. is their sense of motivation and, and their inspiration and what have you? You know, typically when someone steps out of the box of their job description, it's because they've been, been inspired to do so. And, and so ask them, you know, it's not that we want you. And, 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 and the other question is, is, you know, what do you see when you see my leadership? You yeah. know, who do you see? What is the the wake from my leadership? These are tough questions because the answers can be a little tough to hear. But yeah. what you don't know and what you don't ask can and will hurt you. And so I would say start there. Start having, you know, there's a reason you said, you, know, you mentioned, you know, my courage for, you know, having tough conversations. It wasn't always that way. I lived as an ostrich for many, many years. And mm. there was a cost to that. And yeah. I figure that, even if I don't get it right the first time and I don't have all the answers, at least we've started the conversations that, and that's progress. What I don't want is I don't want someone to go from quiet quitting to gone, especially someone who I've invested, you know, my time and my resources, my heart and many other things into and never really understand why they left. Yeah. It's, 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 it's painful to hear that. And I think the, the fear of asking questions like that is mm-hmm. is very visceral. It's yeah. it's wow. I I don't know what they're gonna say, and 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 that's exactly where the courage comes from, right? It's mm-hmm. the uncertainty. It's the unknown, and it's stepping into that kind of abyss and saying, okay, but I'm gonna have the courage to ask, right? Um, and it's communicating to them that what they have to say and how they're experiencing their their workplace, their relationship with you, your leadership, that it matters to you, that they are just not, you know, a name on a schedule or a face in the crowd. Lori, this has been, as always, just valuable, meaningful, and insightful for me to to think about. And I'm grateful for your time and I'm grateful for our conversation here. And I hope that, I hope that leaders take the time to take a journal, reflect a little bit on some of the questions that we shared here today, hopefully step into your centers after this with with the courage to have those conversations, because I think the ripple effect will be tremendous. Absolutely. And of course, my feelings are reciprocated. And I encourage you guys do start reading about this quiet quitting and what it's about. Get the perspective so that you come to the conversations equipped with the right questions and with the right heart posture to be able to have real meaningful dialogue with your team.
what are the trends? What are you currently seeing in the ECE landscape that our leaders need to bring their time and attention to right now, Beth? Uh, dive us in there. I think we've got to start with the mindset, honey, that we are leading out of a crisis. We're not leading in a crisis anymore. And so many leaders that I, I coach and train are in that survival mode, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I'm starting to see is people are starting to apply more. Things are starting to get settled. We're not having to deal with so many COVID protocols. And so the mindset has to shift. You're no longer leading in a crisis. You're leading out of a crisis. And if you're leading with your February 2020 mindset, you're going to be left behind. You're not going to be able to lock arms with the people who you have trusted to lead your organization with you and lead them into this next season. I got chills when you wrote it and I got chills again when you said it. I think this mantra, I am leading my team out of a crisis. Can you walk us through a little bit of the differences between a leader who's leading during wartime, during an actual crisis, versus a leader who's leading their team out of the crisis, and then a leader who's leading in a time of plenty? Because that's coming. Guys, I know it seems all doom and gloom, but plenty comes, right? Like the times of abundance come. Everything works in a cycle. Well, I think we have to hold space for that crisis we just came out of, honey, because the world had never been through that in our lifetime. We didn't know what to do. We were like, okay, we're going to keep kids safe. And what are we supposed to do today? Like, we did not have a plan going forward because the truth is no one can tell us. And now the CDC is even looking back and saying, whoopsie, sorry, we were a little bit confusing about the things that we told you to do. So we didn't know. We did what we had to do to survive. And Craig Rochelle, one of my favorite leadership, uh, leadership gurus, says, your culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. And every single leader I know, myself included, allowed a lot of things to happen over the last two and a half years we would have never allowed prior to that. So with that mindset, what have we allowed prior and now what do we need to shift as we're going into it? And I think it goes back to finding the connection with your staff. You know, you know and again, the great philosopher Charlie Brown says, no one is successful unless other people want them to be, right? Another great philosopher your team needs to know, like, and trust you as a leader. They need to know that you're going to be there. Even if you're not as on site as, as, as much as they would like for you to be, even if you're more of a hands-off leader. And I see, you know, we've got a variety, I'm sure, that listen to your podcast. Sure, But sure. it's creating this connection and this chemistry among your team, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's figuring out why do people stay? Why are they here? Why are they staying? How can you remind them of their why? on really hard days because hard days are still here. Hard days are coming. They're dealing with so many different challenges Challenges coming out of it. But I think you have to go back to re realizing like, we don't know anything anymore. Question everything. And I would say onboard everyone, figure out your onboarding system, figure out what it is. How are you going to attract, train and retain your people? Onboard everyone. It's a new day. It's a new start. And so we can't go into, we can't lead out of this crisis into a new transitional season when we're still carrying the baggage and the habits of that old season that zero people want to go back to. Yes. Okay. This brings me straight into my next question around what is the character and the identity of the leader who leads their team out of crisis. Because, you know, when survival becomes a habit, right, which essentially it's right. when you're three years into something, you're, you're, it's habitual. And we wanna break that habit, right? We wanna become a leader who's leading out of crisis right now. 
what what is some of the character, the value, the identity of that leader? I think work aside, they need to take care of their mental, emotional, mm-hmm. spiritual, and physical health because you cannot lead well unless you, I think, for me, I can't lead anything well unless I am intentional about taking care of myself personally. You know, I've heard you talk about the pre-care, right? You take care of yourself before you get into the crisis. And then when you're yeah. there, you're better prepared for battle. I mean, yeah. soldiers yeah. go through training to prepare for battle. You, you've got to, you got to take care of yourself. So I think it's getting your house in order before mm. you walk in the door of your center is, mm. is, is one of the most important things. And so many educators I know are so busy pouring into other people that they don't pour into themselves. And then they're left depleted, right? Because we're not just tired, we're depleted. And you're not just stressed, it's you're, you're teetering on, you know, you're teetering on that burnout. So I think taking care of yourself and then being a leader who sees people, and you heard me say before, right now, seeing people is your superpower. So everyone from your top talent down to your bus driver or your infant teacher, or, you know, the, the people who are actually the boots on the ground that are doing the hard, hard work listening to them, showing them value, leaning in. It's not, it's not money. It's not bonuses. It's not raises. It's helping those people who are truly empathetic, caring people who are impact driven people lean in and listen and just let them know on a regular basis, you're valued. I see you and you're appreciated for the hard work that you do. And I think we sometimes have to get out from the, get down from the the castle and come down into the trenches. And I did it yesterday. And I'm telling you, their jobs are hard, honey. Their, their yeah. jobs are really hard right now. Oh, it's gritty. It's messy. It's it's all it's all the things. So one of the things I want to zoom in on is so the character and the identity of this leader is someone who takes care of themselves. It's someone who knows what they need and and fuels themselves. And so when a leader is listening to this and they're thinking, okay, Beth, but but I don't have time for that. But I still feel like I'm in survival. How do we start to understand that the only way to lead the team out of this is to come from this calm confidence place, from this place of just this balanced wholeness? Well, I would ask them to think about, if you're listening, where are you now? How do you feel now? And who, what do you, how do you want to feel when December gets here? How do you want to feel after mm-hmm. the end uh, or whatever, whenever we're listening to this, right? Mm-hmm. However you want to feel at the end of the season, you've got to reverse engineer that. If you're not, if you're feeling overwhelmed and tired and beaten down right now, you cannot continue to do the same things that you're doing. So what do you need to do differently? And a lot of people don't want to hear the answer if to take care of yourself. Yes, we all have the same 24 hours. We absolutely do. But if you pay attention to the tension of your own life and your own heart, you'll realize something has to change. And there are strategies that you and I both teach about time management and blocking time out on your calendar and putting that self-care on your calendar. And maybe it's that you go grab a 10 minute walk in the morning, a 10 minute walk in the afternoon, or you move your body at lunch, or you you plan a few meals instead of running through the drive-thru. I mean, there's so many small things that you can do that will elevate your, just your, your heart and your mind and your body. And that's going to better give you the energy to pour back out into people because you can't pour from an empty cup. So I think it's the taking care of yourself and two, just knowing your values, you know, knowing what you stand for, being very clear on what your values are, what your brand is, because your, your, your values plus your culture that you've intentionally created, that's your brand. 
Yeah. Can we go off topic for, well, it's not off topic, but I want to go sidestep for one second here because I think this is a huge part of taking care of yourself. So one of the components in my wellness routine that I realized in taking care of myself is friendship. Anytime I hang out with a friend or talk or just boxer you back and forth, my soul is healed. Like I am calmer. I am better. I am more grounded. I am just like, I got this. And so friendship has become just non-negotiable for me. Like I am texting friends. I'm going out for coffee dates. I blocked it every Friday morning now, starting in October that I'm um, having a, a virtual coffee date with a friend of mine. So a lot of people hear this. I'm like, yes, I need friends. I need to talk to people, right? But a lot of owners I find are lonely. Like they really don't have friends. They don't have people to connect with. Can you speak to a little bit about why friendship is important because i know you and i have just i've been so blessed with for our friendship and and then i guess an invitation to push people in that direction well i think the realization we are created for community right we were not created yeah. to be on this earth yeah. to, to do life alone and entrepreneurship can be very very lonely because so few people yeah. really understand the the challenges and the value and the buck stops with you like you're not looking over your shoulder for someone to come help you like the person in front of you is not reaching back to say come on sister you're it you're at the, you're on the front of the boat. And so I think finding, you know, finding your community, you know, getting involved in, in programs, getting involved, going to conferences, you know, understanding and seeing, seeing other people and, and making that connection. But it, it, again, it does take intentionality to do that. So whether it's in life, in your community, and I'm blessed, my, my mom is a great friend. She's had great friends. She taught me how to be a good friend. And my life is so rich because of the genuine friendships that I have, not just in life, but also in work as well. So find your people and love them hard, but you've got to step out and be a little bit vulnerable. And, and if you feel like you don't have friends, right, reach out, send a message, send, send a text, you know, get into someone's DMs, go to a conference, come meet someone, reach out and have that connection. And then authentically ask questions because I just, what I love about our industry is I, I do feel like that the majority of the people who are leading in our industry have an abundance mindset. It's we do what we do because we we help. We love to help. And so there are people out there, people like you need help. There's someone out there who wants to help you. And you know what else? There's someone out there who needs your help. If you have achieved any shred of success, there's someone who you can reach behind you and grab their hand and come along. So your community is there, but you can't sit back and think they're going to knock at your door and say, hey, come to coffee today. I love it. My mentor, Todd Herman, always says, send the elevator back down. And yes. so I, I just, for me, I love that. Just pay it forward. There's always someone who can learn from you, no matter where you are in your journey. There's always yes. someone who you can extend that invitation, send the elevator, and now you have a new friend. So I appreciate that. Thanks for, for taking that little diversion on friendship there. So tell us a little bit about what you're forecasting that's coming in 2023, I, um, you know, just in, in what we're talking about leading out of this crisis and some practical action steps that our leaders can take. Practical action steps, what's coming? Zero people can tell you what is coming. That's what we <laughs> So I am not going to say that I can say that. I can tell you what I'm seeing and I can tell you what my hope is. Hey, okay. I'm seeing that we are getting more people coming back into the workforce. I'm seeing yes. when we're posting yes. out ads and, and doing ads and doing, we've got a really heavy recruiting strategy right now. We're starting to see more people apply for jobs and we're starting to see more quality candidates who are engaging and not just showing up to check off a box where I applied for a job to keep that employment. Yes. So yes. We're Free money's to... over. Free money's over. <laughs> yes. oh, thank goodness for that. So I'm starting to see more people come back into the workforce. I'm starting to see early educators who left for a couple dollars more to go to Target 
are coming back because that was a soul-sucking job and they want to make an impact and they want to work with kids. I am starting to see the eyes on the early education, right? And so the more eyes, the more help, the more attention that our industry gets, that is nothing but hope. So if, if, if I could forecast, I would say people are paying attention to the great work that we do. So when all eyes are on you, you rock your thing. Whatever your thing is, you rock it. You have the best school in your community. You love your people. You love your team. You love your community. And you show up. And what is coming in 2023 are big, big blessings for those who are working hard and ready to catch it. I love it. I love it. So some some action says, Beth, you know, you're super practical. You've got a lot um, of great tactical advice for leaders. What Give us two or three that would really be uh, helpful for us during this season. I would say your paper handbook is not a training tool. It's a policy <laughs> document that no, that no one's reading. So do something with your training process. So many, yes. so many teachers leave because they're not trained well. And mm -hmm. I mean, I just heard it from one of my directors. She's like, the owner walks in, she's got three people onboarding. She's got a fire going on in the infant room. Three teachers didn't show up on a Monday and two of the, two of the three walked out and didn't come back the next day. Yeah. Seeing that everywhere. Get your onboarding nailed down so there is a pre-onboarding process. Get your handbook into some digital modules. There's free tools on the internet that can do that. Yeah. And you can link to that. I've got that free handout. You can link to it in the show notes. But yes, we will. Get, spend some time now creating a strategic, engaging onboarding process so that your teachers know what to know, think, and do on day one. Before they get into your building, have a system to where they understand your culture and your curriculum and your compliance and your compensation. Make sure they know that before they come into the center. So when they walk in, you're not handing them a rule book and having adult story time with them. They're walking in and you're able to connect to them. You're able to welcome them. So glad you're here. Welcome to our family. I love it. I love it. I actually have two of our members are accountability butters for their manuals to modules. Uh, they work together to keep each other accountable to to get it done. They keep kicking each other in the pants saying, Mom, we got to do this. We got to do that. So, yeah, we'll definitely I love that. that. Yeah. It's, I, when she told me, I was like, that's amazing. I love that you're holding each other accountable because it is work and it does take time. So I love that they found friendship uh, with each other. What else? So. Pay attention to your training processes. And then also to, you know, what, what kind of engaging training are you doing? I want you to think about your staff meetings. Mm -hmm. Are your staff meetings a list of all the terrible things that people are doing that are not following their rules? Or are your staff meetings engaging? Are they short, less than 30 minutes? Are they to the point? And do you have some roses and thorns in those staff meetings, right? Can you celebrate wins? Don't bring your people into a meeting and beat them down. No one wants to hear that, right? So, and, and don't use a meeting to berate one one employee over doing something that, that you are afraid to have the conversation with them about, right? If one person is having some, some challenging things going on, address that person. Don't be afraid of that. And so engaging staff meetings, I think really, really matter. So do that. And then one really important thing, be humble. Have feedback. I am intentional, so intentional about having one-on-one -on -one meetings and they're very simple questions. It is, I want you to tell me what you think I'm doing well. And I want you to tell me what you think my opportunity for growth is. And then I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell you, hey, here's what I think I'm doing well. And I would agree with you. My opportunity for growth is this. And then you switch it. Leaders who are willing to hear what their blind spots are from the people they lead are self-aware and 
they are going to get small nuggets of how they can level up and how they can lead their people. Because if you're willing to sit across from someone and say, hey, what do you think I can be doing better? It's going to be a whole lot easier for you to have that conversation with them and say, hey, this is what you're doing well. And here's what I think your opportunity for growth is. Here's where you can grow. And how can I help you level up? So I just have found that level of pulling down and just getting mano y mano, right? One-on-one and listening to listening to them and let them know that you're a leader who wants to not only tell you what to do, but also to hear you and to listen to you and maybe even take some suggestions, some low cost, tiny tweak suggestions on how you can better lead your team. I love that. I love that we're ending with this because I feel like my business, my team, my marriage, my parenting, probably every bucket of my life has gotten better because I ask those questions uh, to the people in my life. So I, they're hard questions to ask, but once you build them as a habit, it's, this is just part of my life. I'm always asking people, the people in my life, um, how to get better. So I love that, Beth. Beth, where can people go to find out more about you and the incredible work that you're doing in the early childhood world? Well, um, it's at Beth Cannon Speaks on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, we've got a Facebook group. It's called Community for ECE Leaders. And then those are, those are the places. So right. go on there. There's a couple of free resources on my website. You can grab those. And, you know, I do keynote speaking. And I think you and I will be on some stages here coming up soon. Yes. Yes. team building and leadership retreats. And then I've got, you know, a few digital courses that I do. So that's how I help early education leaders. Awesome. And we'll link some of uh, Beth's direct link inside of the show notes. So you guys could go check that out. Beth, I always love talking to you. Thanks so you know. much for being here. Our next section is on branding and organizational infrastructure. This is a really great conversation because in these three conversations, very, very unique perspective on things that I find that ECE leaders don't really check out that often. So I kick off this section with Thad Joyner from Better Beans Branding. My conversation with Thad is just so enlightening to what's happening in the world today. He talks about how to compete with bigger companies, right? The big behemoths and what is happening in the childcare space and why you need to look ahead for what is happening with these bigger companies. We also chat about getting clear on what your brand is and what your brand story is. And Thad's got some great ideas when it comes to that. And we also talk about looking at long-term success. Where are the things in your business that you need to be building for decades from now and start the process now? This conversation with Thad is going to blow your mind. There's just some really, really great insights inside of there. Next up, I connect with Brandy Woods from Childcare Millionaires. This is a great conversation where we really talk about organizational infrastructure. Brandy and I talk about how to use departments to make better decisions inside of your business. We talk about how to identify your opportunities and threats to make a concrete strategic plan for your business. And we talk about how to listen to blind spots from your stakeholders so that you can make better decisions inside of your business. This is another great conversation with Brandy Woods. And lastly, I chat with Brian and Carol Dupre from Childcare Genius. Just a phenomenal conversation. Brian and Carol have been in the industry for over two decades. They have a wealth of knowledge of wisdom and experience. And in our conversation, we talk about the how and the why of hiring and how it's going to get easier. We also talk about how and when to make decisions to close down a location if necessary. Really, really great insight into this. If you are questioning closing down a center, if you have a few centers that might not be operating at optimal performance, this is a great listen to. And lastly, we talk about how to take action today to not be stuck in the past or 
in the future. So I hope you enjoyed this section on branding and operational excellence. So I'd love to kick us off with you telling us a little bit about the trends or some of the best practices of what's happening in the landscape of early childhood, specifically when it comes to branding and not just branding, but brand equity in general um, in the market. Yeah, well, thanks for the question. And in a lot of ways, I don't like talking trends as much as I like talking to what are the basics that people are focusing most on right now. I like to tell all of my companies, just you never want to be that guy that's saying, go back to the basics. Um, <laughs> if, if you are that guy, then then you have failed in a major way. You know, you got to get back to the fundamentals. And to me, branding is completely fundamental and it has to be fundamental to who you are. So, but as we talk about that, what are the biggest things that I see across the country visiting thousands of schools? Where do the focuses need to be and, and, and what are we focusing on? Uh, let me talk about the market real quick is that you, you really have, you know, kind of um, over the last five years, the big behemoths in childcare are taking over and buying up the mom and pops. You have private equity that is taking over. So you really have these large groups that have entered all of our marketing, all of our marketplaces. And some of them are excellent at telling their brand story and of sticking to their branding. And some are not. And so to me, um, if I'm talking to regional owners or single unit owners or you know smaller market, small business owners, I'm going to say, how are you competing with these big guys um, from a brand standpoint. And so, uh, you know, if the trend that I see that we need to be on top of is, can you tell your brand story without giving a tour? So could you have no directors there? And when the parents came in for a tour, you just said, yeah, come on in, walk around. Uh, that, you know, my building, my signage, my people, my uniforms, my print materials, that will tell my story for me. Um, and how many people would you sign up if there was nobody there to tell your story? I'm, I got chills when you said that. I think that's a really intentional question for people to sit with. What, because some, we think of storytelling as someone actually physically telling a story, verbally, uh, communicating and telling a story, but your brand, your entire physical building and the people, the way they show up, the way they're dressed, the way they're interacting with the kids, the way everything tells your story. So I just think that's a, a really powerful mindset shift. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll get into later, like kind of a little bit of how you do that. But sure. um, really the, the part to scare people into doing the right thing is, hey, what would your building look like and how would your story be told on a Saturday? Mm. And I know you're not asking for for what to do yet, but yeah. you know I would say first step is walk into your building on a Saturday. You not be the person that closes on a Friday. Go in Saturday morning, and what do you see? You know, mm. take the blinders off of when there's people there and things are being used, et cetera. And how many signs are posted incorrectly? How many light bulbs are out? How is there signage that talks about your curriculum in a, a compelling way? Are your unique differences being told in a, a in a visual way, or is it just you're counting on a great salesman? And don't get me wrong, I'm a big believer in great tours and, and great yeah. directors because directors are the engine that makes our industry go. But you have to have more than that in today's world because, you know, if you walk into a, let's just say a Primrose, 
their story's going to be told. Their branding's going to be consistent. Their standards are consistent. And, you know, that's what you're competing against in a lot of these markets. And I'm not saying that's who you want to be, but I'm sure. saying that's who you're competing against. So in this world where private equity and these large groups are buying things up and they're the behemoth, what's your advantage? Well, your advantage is that whatever your unique differences are, your advantage, but also your advantage, you can move faster. You can be more consistent and you, the owner, can be in those buildings every day, establishing and keeping those brand standards. Yeah. So when we look at 2023, uh, and again, depending on who you are, some people obsessively watch the news cycle of the doom and gloom, and some people don't watch the news cycle at all. And so I'd love to hear from your vantage point, what are some of the projections as we enter 2023 that childcare owners um, should know about and start looking at? Look, you know, I, I will first give financial kind of look at things, and then I want to you know, talk about uh, kind of what, what to do with branding from the brand side of things. Number one, the economy's pulling back. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The economy's pulling back a little bit. Interest rates, I mean, I think a, a, a buddy of mine told me yesterday that you know, I think interest rates yesterday on a new home in, in the Atlanta market was around six and a half percent. So we've gone from three to people jumping into sixes and six and a half. So um, money is changing. And money over the next year and a half is going to be harder to get to borrow, right? Mm -hmm. So money's going to be more expensive, right? You're paying a higher interest rate for the money you get. And, uh, it, and it's going to be harder to get. The standards to get it are going to be a little bit harder than they were a year ago. That being said, how do we position ourselves to gain market share and to be the very best through this little bit of a downturn maybe? That's what I want to think about. Number one, most of our childcare owners are on this. There's grant money everywhere. There's still grant money everywhere, all over the place. You need to be maximizing what you get. I would highly suggest that most of the states that have quality rated systems and tiered reimbursements based on your star ratings or whatever that you may have in your state, I would prioritize getting the highest, the highest star rating you can get from your state. That's going to maximize the amount of grant money and things that you can get. So financially speaking, I would be looking towards that. From a okay. brand standpoint, I can personally attest, I bought my first set of centers starting in 2009 on the back end of the downturn. And I was buying great buildings that had huge heydays where they were crushing it, that were dead, that I was buying for pennies on the dollar. And that was because they ignored what their brand was. No matter how tight things get right now, you need to be setting aside three to 5% of your cash for future capital improvements. You have to continue to invest in your building. Uh, for instance, I mean, have you been into a Starbucks or a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A, these behemoth retail brands that are out there? Have you gone in and seen their buildings not attended to or their brand standards not there? I mean, they are constantly, every five years, completely redoing their building um, to bring it up to brand standards. And that's how they keep the market share. That's how they're the behemoth. Now, we're not looking to be a, most of us on this call are not looking to have a thousand units, right? Yeah. But in your market, that's who you're competing with. You need to be that good. So you need to be setting aside cash so that you can, can be reinvesting in the brand that you need to be. So if it's me and, you know, 
y'all, I think you, you know, Kathy Ligon, right? That, is oh, that how we she's, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. on, the, she's, she's one of the guests on the forecast. Oh, good. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. hopefully I can steal some of her thunder, but the, uh, <laughs> hopefully and she'll tell you that when things are bad, you know, in the economy or people's outlook aren't as positive and people, the outlook in America, you know, the people aren't super thrilled about the economy right now. Nope. When the outlook's bad, I get happy, me Why? personally, because I know there's opportunity. I know my competitors mm. are scared to spend money. They're scared to invest it. This isn't when I need to make money. I'm not looking to make money right now. I'm looking to take their customers and take their market share right now. That's all I'm looking for. Yeah. And when things are good, as Kathy will tell you, I sell. <laughs> because that's when I'm making the most money. And, and that's when I get scared because I know the bad times are coming. And the in the bad times, I want to have the most cash, be the most ready, and be investing the most in my buildings. You know, if you look out there right now across, have you been out to eat lately? I We're taking our kids out tonight, actually, as a celebration. There you go. So if, you know, I go out to eat still kind of all the time, um, yeah. but service is in the toilet. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did go out bad. to eat last week. It is. It's toilet. Agreed. Things are dirty. Like, it, yeah. like people aren't paying attention because yeah. they're not spending the money. They're not spending their money on people. They're mm -hmm. not spending their money. They're not spending enough money on employees. That's why they don't have them. They're not spending enough money on their buildings. So they look like crap and service is crap. So right now, I, if, if, I'm looking, hey, man, how great can I make my buildings? How great can I tell my brand story? How much can I spend on employees and employee training? So I'm separating myself. So when we come out of this, I'm the no-brainer, right? I'm the one on the wait list. I'm the one charging the most tuition. There's something really powerful in what you're saying here that I just want to help the listeners kind of pull from what you're saying in that in times of plenty, you understand that there's a circle of life, right? The time of plenty doesn't last forever. There's yep. a cycle. The economy goes in cycles. And so you've really structured your brain to focus on in times of plenty, I sell so I can build cash reserves because, you know, the, the contraction is coming and I want to make sure I have the most cash so that I can have the most reserves. And this is just a complete flip where a lot of owners are not thinking like this. And so I appreciate this insight because while we are in, a down right now, the down doesn't last forever, right? We always nope. have to remember that it does come back up again. So let's go into some practical steps that our owners can do over the, like, as we go into 2023 and really the next 18 months, right? Because a lot of economists are really forecasting kind of this downturn for the next 18 months or so, and then it slowly starts to pick back up again. So what are some practical steps that you recommend our owners do during this time period? And obviously not everything all at once, but what are some of the steps that they could be doing over this time period? Well, so if we're going, if we're looking at the entire brand and at what we're going to do kind of in order, you know, the first thing, the first thing I would do is that you really need to do a brand survey of, on, on yourself. So hmm. um, the first thing, you know, if I'm going to go back, I'm going to turn all the way back and go to what I said in the beginning, get in your building on a Saturday when no one's there and pretend you're a customer and see if you would sign up at your building. <laughs> I think no excuses either. Don't go, well, so-and-so didn't stay to close last night, blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to walk through with your eye and go, God, that looks bad. That needs to be painted. This floor needs to be done. Man, we need a sign over here. Like, how are they going to know about our great after-school program? Would they, how, how would they know walking through your building how great your after-school program is? You know, so each of those things, and it needs to be, I mean, you need to spend a few hours on that. 
is each thing on the playground done right? How's your landscaping? Are your flowers fresh? Um, how good does your monument sign look out front? How does your building sign look? How does your interior signage look? Is everything marked properly? Which teachers are performing on their classrooms and have learning objectives posted and have, you know, can you see what activities were done that week in that classroom when you go in there? You know, you're going to know what your brand is. So if I walked in your building on a Saturday, just me, me personally, would I enroll in your building? Very few. Now we walk into some that do, but very few would be separating themselves. And that's the good news. The good news is no one else is paying attention to their building like this. So if you do, you are going to sign up more families. You are going to charge more money. So the first thing I would do is survey my building and make it a a brand standard for my building. These are the things that we're going to have. The second thing I would do is plan my, uh, you know, if it's me, I'm planning 15 years worth of um, remodels. You know, what am I doing? Like, so I don't, I'm not a believer of painting one year, floors the next year, siding this year, signage next year, because I don't think you ever get the bang for the buck. I don't think you ever get like customers that are blown away. You can take big tuition increases, all that. I think, you know, you're every five to seven years, move that bus. Now, granted, I'm in the, re- I'm in that business. So, but I also have done that personally, yeah. both in the restaurant business and all the restaurants that I've owned. And I've also done it in the childcare business. And I know that that allows me to charge the most money in my market and I'll always be full. So you do a complete remodeling every uh, five to seven years, like everything gets redone, not like slowly walls, floors, whatever. Right. Yeah. I don't slowly Got do it. anything. Right. We go in and do a big, a big moment. Then it comes with a big price increase and a big flood of new customers all kind of coming at the same time. It's so interesting. I'll go off topic here for once. Well, it's not so off topic. So we just bought a house two years ago. We bought this before the before the economy got crazy. So we got like a 2.5% interest rate. Like we, oh, yeah. we lucked out. But anyways, when we bought our house, my husband and I made a commitment that we were only going to do one big thing in the house a year. So every year we were going to like choose one big project that we wanted to do in the house. So last year we did bookshelves. This year we're doing closets that are starting next month. So that's what we're doing at our house. Like once a year, we're doing something, you know, like a big hoopla um, yep. that, that we're splurging on. So it's just interesting to hear your perspective on, you know, from a school and obviously business and branding is different than my personal home. Do it a giant remodeling. You need a massive amount of cash flow to do that, which is why most people don't do that. Because the amount of cash you need to do that is is huge. Well, I don't think you need the cash flow. I mean, I'm a fan of, I mean, and that's a great point. I mean, that's that's what scares most people into not doing a, a, a Well, that's what one. I was thinking first. Like, where are you going to get all that cash? Yeah. So let's just say you had, I don't know, for an average 10,000 square foot school, you had a $300,000 number to do sure. the remodel that you want, right? Sure. And maybe this year we're not doing the playground, but we know we're going to do those and we're going to do that in five years. That'll be a part of the next one, right? So five years from now. So $300,000, let's just say, I mean, you know, uh, you know, hopefully you've got 20% of that, 60 grand, okay. something like that. Got so it. Let's say okay. you go borrow 240. Got it. Okay. You so you're like, kind of like a down payment. You put a percentage yeah. of it and then you're, I got it. I got it. Okay. So let's just Good. say you, okay. let's just say you borrow 240. So you're doing yeah. $240,000 worth of work. You finance yeah. that over five to 10 years. You really have a nothing burger of a payment. Sure. Sure. That you only need two more kids to pay for it. Got it. Got it. But you're not only going to get more than two kids, or you're at least going to get the two kids. You're also going to take a 15% price increase. Sure. Which, you know, if you have 
20 kids or let's say 200, let's just say a hundred kids, a hundred yeah. kids in your building paying 40 more dollars a week. That's four grand a week, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Four grand, $16,000 a month. You're going to crush that $240,000 payment. Yeah. So I want to kind of bring everything uh, full circle in the last thing I really would love to hear from you because you've been in the industry so long and you're, and you're working on this a lot. Uh, the mindset, I think your mindset is very resilient. You really, really look at good times and bad times from a perspective that's really aligned with it's all going to be good. It's all going to work out. Like just make sure that you're putting the right steps in place. So can you give us some insight into the mindset that you would invite leaders to step into as opposed to the scarcity, the doom and gloom, where can our leaders lean into uh, from a place of hope? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, hopefully your brand and your business excites you, period. So if you're not in that mindset already, if you're not excited to be in the childcare business right now, then you need to get out. Number one. <laughs> Simply put, that's uh, golden advice. <laughs> I mean, Exit. just leave. I mean, Exit. if you're that guy that's not going to invest yeah. in being the yeah. very best childcare in the world, then get out. Um, yep. Because uh, I, I think the thing that can drive you is that when you wake up and you know you want to be the very best, like can you want to be the very best employer, the very best place to work? Do you want to be the very best for each child that comes in your building? Do you mm -hmm. want to have the best looking childcare center in your area? Um, do you want to have the most definable brand? Do you want to charge the most money? Like all the, whatever you want to be, like you got to pick out what you're going to be absolute best at and wake up pumped to be that every day. And as soon as you're not, you need to get out. Um, yeah. That's number one. Number two is what will excite you? I mean, and that's kind of the other reason for the full remodel. I mean, if I'm just doing new carpet, nobody's excited. But when I'm doing new carpet, um, all new three-year-old and four-year-old classroom equipment, um, I'm doing one new playground thing and I'm putting and I'm having new landscaping installed in the front. Everybody's pumped. Yeah. You have yeah. a rendering. Everybody's yeah. pumped, excited. Yeah. So every few years you get this monster excitement and then you're redoing it. Like it's just that's it's how you incredible. build momentum in your business and keep it. I love it. I love it that. And your energy is very, very refreshing and it's it's contagious. So I, I appreciate that. Thad, where can people go to find out more about you and the work that you're doing in the childcare world? Yeah, I mean, if you go to betterbeansbranding.com, I mean, you can hook up with one of our designers or one of our salesmen and consultants that, you know, they're there. And, you know, I don't want to oversell this because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, yeah. we are the best in the industry that, that does it. And we're, yeah. you know, maybe the only people that focuses on child cares doing it. So uh, we would love to talk to you. But whether you talk to us or not, I really want you to go do this on your own. Like, I want our industry to get the respect it deserves. And I want our leaders and our great directors and our great owners that are out there, you know, I want y'all to get, get the due respect in all industries that you deserve. So I'd love to kick us off over here for you to share with us, what are some of the trends that you are currently seeing, Brandy, in the early childhood landscape? One of the most, I think, impactful trends that I'm seeing is that daycare owners um, across this United States are using departmentalization to really grow um, their business and institutions. And we really didn't see this in small businesses before. Um, me coming from the public school district, I was very used to being broken up into departments. And for me, I saw it as a natural progression. So 
Um, I would say from about year two, we've been using departments and everybody was looking at me like I was crazy. Like, because I don't know about you, but most of the owners that I know, they're like the be all end all. And now we're finally getting more owners that have directors. But most of us who own centers, we were not just the owner, but we were the director. We were the curriculum coordinator. We were the transportation coordinator. We were the parent enrollment specialist. Um, all of these small departments um, that could have been broken off was housing one brain. And I think that that's so dangerous. I love this. So in corporate, this is like common practice, right? There's departments everywhere. You go into any Walmart. I was actually just in the ER on Monday from heat exhaustion. I'm doing a lot better, a heat stroke, actually. Uh, that's how hot it is here in Florida in Florida, even if you're drinking. But what, what I was fascinated about when, when I think of an ER or any hospital, there are these departments, right? Like this person takes out the garbage. This person is the technician. This person takes out the IV drip. This person does every single one has a very specific job. And then in childcare, it's one big stew pot. Like everyone does everything. So and this is wrong. <laughs> Yes, it is. Right. And, you know, it was funny because when, when we were waiting, you know, hours and hours to finally get discharged, my husband's like, I think I know why they create these departments. And I'm like, why? He's like, I think that if, if everyone had to do everything, you would get so burnt out from literally just answering questions like, oh, you need, no, 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 go talk to this person. I'm not even answering your question. Go talk to the technician. And I think this is so relevant to what we're talking about today, Brandy, because the, so much of the burnout and exhaustion and fatigue comes from this. So you sound like you've been a spy on the wall in my classes. <laughs> this is what I'm preaching. If you don't want to be exhausted, you have to what I call share the cape, okay? Because I know you're a superhero. Hashtag share the cape. Here we go. Hashtag share the cape. <laughs> but you need to share the cape because there are other things that people in your organization can do. And even if they can't do it 100% of the way, the way you would do it, even if they did it 80%, you know, that 80-20 rule, it will be good. But if you train them and you begin to trust them, you will see that your 100% was really nothing compared to what their 100% will be. So for those of you who are skeptical and you're like, Brandy, I can't have all of these department heads, ARPA funds are leaving, you know, there's only so many grants. Let me explain to you the benefits of the yes, department. Let's talk about it. Okay. So one, it's going to improve job satisfaction. We know it's already hard to get good workers, but one of the reasons why people leave childcare at an alarming rate is because they're burnt out. They're doing too many things. They're changing. They're doing the bus. They're enrolling. They're answering the phone. If one part of the day, they're the teacher. The other part of the day, they're helping with chores. It's just too much. And so when you can increase job satisfaction, and I know I'm over enrollment, I'm going to do the best tours, and I'm going to be worried about my KPIs, about my department, which is the second thing. That attention to detail. I love the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. And the highest dysfunction is the inattention to detail. Well, I can't have detail to everything. I don't know what's important if, you know, I'm just in this gumbo mix of things to do. So when you departmentalize, people in that department have more attention to detail. They're yes. more likely to follow up with their new student. They're more likely to make sure that um, student gets a birthday present on their birthday. All of these things are more likely to happen because they know that they are responsible for it. And then I, I think there are two more, but I have to get this one out. Okay. 
Your organization cannot grow with you just growing. I don't know if you've ever seen those bobblehead dolls and the head is so big. A lot of us are creating bobblehead childcare centers, right? Mm. Where we're oh, so many hashtags. Hashtag share the cape. Hashtag bobblehead business. Branding. I'm loving this. <laughs> so if we just if we're just swollen in the head and the body of our business is tiny, you know, it's like, let me do it with my good arm. We're, we're just stunning the growth of our people. So the way an organization truly grows, and this doesn't matter if it's a church, it could be a sorority, shout out to my sorority. Um, it could be a church, it could be a sorority, it could be a business. The sales in the business have to grow. As the individual sales or departments in the business or the organization grows, the organization as a whole grows. A lot of times we're trying to grow as the leader and we're the only strong thing and everyone else is weak and we brained it because we didn't give them a chance to exercise those muscles that we get to exercise. So as you departmentalize, you'll see that you get more problem solvers. I know some of you out there like, I'm the only true problem solver in my business, right? Maybe you should consider department. Well, you only have one department, so you're the only problem solver in the department. So let's back up for a second here, Brandy, because you, you've shared a lot, a lot of gold, and I want to unpack a couple of these things before, before we move forward. So let's start with step one. You're talking about departmentalize. Let's break this down a little bit more. Talk me through some of the departments that you currently have inside of your child care center. Absolutely. So we, of course, have an enrollment department because that's right. where our funding comes from. We have a food service department that not only sources our food, does the paperwork, does procurement. They also make sure our teachers have the appropriate trainings okay. um, for their department. Then we have curriculum and development. And our curriculum and development is a crossover. I wish it was two separate ones, but they do curriculum and development for the students, mm -hmm. curriculum development for the staff, and they also do some parent development because we host um, parent classes. And then our final department that we have right now is our outreach, growth, and development. And that particular department is responsible for all of our events, making sure that we're seen in the community, making sure that we're marketed correctly, and making sure that we have good development plans. They research where should we be going next. Those are the main departments. Now, of course, our directors take care of the ongoing of our school, but because we have multiple locations, and you'll see this with um, a lot of owners that are not chains because chains used to always do this. They would have a corporate office. So we've been having a corporate office, I guess, for about, I don't know, four years um, where we have people housed that do things for multiple um, locations. And now they also they do things for our other association, which is the Child Care Millionaires Association, because there's just power in numbers. I love this. I love this. Again, there's there's so much here and some of you are listening and thinking, okay, that's too overwhelming. I don't have that. I'm just trying to get out of the classroom. I'm overwhelmed. I'm burnt out, whatever it is. No, no problem. Take a deep breath. You can always come back and listen to this. This episode isn't going anywhere. So just knowing that a concept like this exists is super helpful. But Brandy, walk us through kind of the person who's saying, okay, I like this. I need to create departments. I probably have already some sort of departments, but maybe I need to be more intentional about that. When we look at the forecast for 2023, what's coming, what people should focus on, where people should put time and attention, what two departments should people really be looking at building out appropriately? Oh, that's really hard for me to choose to. Let's okay. talk about curriculum and instruction. 
one of the ways that you make your school have a waiting list and be a no-brainer is you turn out great programs for, for parents. Parents want to brag. They want to say, when my kid left Imagine Me Academy, we were <laughs> able to super grade. They want to, I mean, they they love to brag about how their kid is reading at this le level. Now, this is the thing. Let's say you have a low budget and you don't have enough money to have someone over the curriculum department and they don't do anything else. You can choose a master teacher or you can hire someone part time and they can work on curriculum development, maybe 10 to 15 hours a week. That will give you enough oomph to make it work. And I'm going to tell you my other hack. Okay. I believe this is a trend. Using other people's resources that they're selling. Like, I'm not saying steal it, buy it. My good girlfriend, um, LJ of Little STEM Academy, we don't, I'm not a STEM person. I'm a math person, but I'm not science and technology. Our school uses her STEM kits and we do virtual learning with them. So we literally have our teachers log into her virtual learning. Her teachers are doing the science experience with our kids. So we're using technology and distance learning, but we have one person who dedicates 20 hours every single week to curriculum and instruction for all 200 of our students. It's worth it. That um, is, okay, so I, I we need to pause here. We need to pause because this is another hashtag uh, share the cape uh, moment here where this is just such a powerful way of how to use resources appropriately, right? So Brandy knows someone who has this great thing. I don't need to become great at this. I need to hire her to come do this in my center. Oh, but she lives a thousand miles away. Okay, let's set up something virtually. Like just the innovation, the way that you're thinking about bringing value, but doing so in a way that doesn't break the bank, doing so in a way that maximizes resources in a shared economy, right? Helps her make money, helps you make money. I just think is such a powerful way to look at your business. But let's go back to departments for a second because I don't want to I don't, I don't want to go too off track. So yeah. curriculum and development, right? So let's say someone says, okay, Brandy, I love what you're saying. I have a master teacher who keeps asking me for more leadership opportunities, but I don't have a director role. What should I do with her? What can I offer her? So I offer, I started with a teacher as well, and now we outsource it and she works with a person um, who has developed, um, helped us develop a, specialized curriculum, start by allowing them to duplicate some of the great things they're doing in their own classroom across the board. She can start modeling lessons for other teachers, pulling like exemplar lessons to show teachers like, hey, this is an exemplar lesson, or this is how we show off student work. This is how you create portfolios. The things that she's naturally doing well, she can begin to train mm -hmm. and duplicate in your other classrooms just across the building that takes no extra money and for her it, it comes natural it's an extension of what she already or he or she already does and then those people that do good in their classroom they implement the things that we buy so really you just really want people to help you implement the tens and twenties of thousands of dollars worth of materials that you bought that's just the starting point i love this i love this so 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 powerful so, Brandy, you know, what what are some of very specific action steps that you recommend our owners and directors who are listening to this do? You know, there's there's so 
There's so much information out there. There's so much going on in the news cycle. There's a lot happening and leaders want direction. We want clarity. We want, we want, you know, we want as little ambiguity as possible. So walk us through just a little bit of, of what we could do that could create some clarity, some peace, some hope. Yeah. So I'm my favorite four letter word in the world is SWAT. I say to know what departments that you really need to have just sit down and do a SWOT analysis. Look at your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats and really pull out what will make your organization stronger. We always, you know, build on our strengths, but we have to work on our weaknesses, minimize our threat and maximize our opportunities. So if you see in your area that no one is really doing dual language, that's an opportunity. You know, how can you maximize that? We use a program called Ready for Spanish for that. So there are things out there that you can do at a very low cost, set a budget to it, see what will really improve your program. Ask your teachers and your parents what they want. A lot of times we don't ask people what they want because we think, oh, well, we can't provide that. But if you're innovative and you're solution oriented, I'm sure that you can find a product or a person in the market that this is their zone of genius and they don't mind sharing or offering you a product that can fill in the gap for your institution. But do that SWOT analysis and just focus on your long-term goals and that will help you build out your first few departments. I love this. I love this. And I think just when you were talking about before where the opportunities are, right? So much of the opportunity sits in listening, in listening to your employees and listening to your parents. They say things off the fly, a drop off, at, at dismissal, at all of these things. Take that information and in. you don't have to act on it right away. You're not a toddler. You're a grown up. Take your information. Thank you for sharing. Right. And then go sit with it with the team and use that in your SWOT analysis. So I think listening is just an under spoken about super skill to create massive wealth inside of your center. Yes. You're not, you don't have to be the smartest person. You don't, have to, you don't have to come up with the next big idea. If you listen to your stakeholders, your, even your students, your students will tell you what they love. If you listen to your stakeholders, the solutions are right there in what they're saying um, to help you make the next best move because our next move has to be our best move going into 2023. Love it. Love it. Brandy, where can people go to find out more about you and the amazing work that you're doing in the childcare world? Listen, I'm everywhere in these internet streets. <laughs> I love the internet streets. Okay, Brandy, you are full of hashtags. We need to hang out more. I love it. Internet streets. Okay. <laughs> so um, you can always find me hanging out in our association, yes. Childcare Millionaires Association. It's absolutely free to join. It's a Facebook group. We do so many free trainings. Um, I'm on Instagram at Child Care Millionaires and, of course, at Brandy Woods. And then, of course, we have amazing child care merch. So check out our store at shop.childcaremillionaires.com. Love it. Love it. Brandy, thanks so much for joining us. Always great jamming with you. Absolutely. Brian and Carol, what are some of the trends or kind of what you're seeing in the landscape right now in the childcare world? Well, things are starting to slow down a little bit as far as the the need for childcare. Obviously, the jobs are starting to get lost. We've noticed that the hiring is, is starting to slow down a little bit now that we're starting to ease into recession. And I know people usually tend to panic when they hear that word, but don't panic. 
because I think this recession, for at least what I'm hearing, is going to be good for childcare owners as far as we're not going to be having shedding the massive amount of jobs that most recessions do. So things will slow down a little bit. It'd be easing up. And the positive thing I think you're going to see is hiring is going to become a lot easier in the next six to 12 months, which is going to make a lot of people very happy in the childcare realm. Everybody's struggling right now. Yeah. So but before we go into some of the forecasts, I'd love to dive in a little bit because, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. Are we going into a recession? Are we in one? Is it going worse? Are we going to head into a depression? What do the childcare leaders need to really know about the economic landscape right now? Because I try to filter out all the news because I most of the news are doom and gloom. And I know some people try to do the same thing. So tell us a little bit from your vantage point. What is important information for childcare leaders to understand about the economy right now? Right now, there's for every couple jobs that you have, you only have a few people to fill them. So right now, the supply is uh, way, the demand is way outstripping the supply, meaning that there's so many jobs out there and there's hardly any people to fill them. So as the job market gets tighter with a recession, meaning that businesses are not going to, recession means people aren't spending the money that they have. They're tightening up on the money. So that it, it's actually a period of negative growth in the economy. I just I just happen to know these things. I used to be in politics, so I know that. The well, you've also been through many cycles of the economy, so you've right. seen this before. <laughs> right, and we, recessions right. have always been a positive for us, so we've always okay. used it as an opportunity. So what do you see? Well, I think that your question about are we in recession, I think we're in recession, but it's we're in the beginnings of it. It's definitely going to get worse. Whether or not it will turn into depression, no, uh, probably definitely not, not going to happen. So I think it's just going to be a slow progressing recession, not like 2007 where everything just dropped. Yeah, and yeah. right. And what, what's going to happen is there's, the company's going to start shedding some jobs. You're going to see people being able to take lower wage jobs, which, you know, obviously we're in that category. People are going to be saying, okay, instead of, you know, maybe – the school teacher job that I can't get, I'm going to take a job at a child care center. So mm-hmm. it's going to be easier for us to find people. People okay. are also going to be, they're going to be want, motivated to work mm-hmm. because uh, government, the government handouts that have been coming so readily are going to stop during recession. They can't have that spending. Uh, so there's been a lot of money being spent. Uh, one of the disadvantages, as you know, is the grant money that's been coming out. There's been a lot of grant money to child care centers. That's slowly easing off. Our, our grants end this month, and that's yep. going to change everything as well. Unfortunately, a lot of people have used that grant money, and they put it into the everyday income of their business. And once it goes away, they may be having some issues with being able to pay their staff and their mortgages and everything else. So that brings me into this next thing where I'm looking at, okay, let's look at what we're for. You know, truly, we we can't do a real forecast because no one really knows what tomorrow brings, but we could do the best that we can. And and typically, when I look at any kind of forecast, I like that the forecast should be able to tell me a story that can help me make good decisions. Um, when we look at a financial forecast, when we look at a cash flow forecast, it's all, you're not looking at it just because, you're looking at it, hopefully, so you can make some good decisions. So tell us what you're seeing in the forecast and how you can guide some of our leaders to make really wise choices. Like Carol was saying, that wasn't a wise choice, whoever took the grant money and used them in their day-to-day operations. So we'd love to hear from you. Yes, we're we're real estate. We have a real estate company, so we're we're big into real estate investing. We have been for many years as to diversify our childcare business. And a lot of childcare owners also own real estate, or when they expand, they buy real estate. So we've been watching the real estate market closely, uh, and we've been buying all through this. But we're noticing things are starting to slow down now, which is good. 
because that mm -hmm. means prices are starting to settle. And it also mean that next year, things will start going backwards a little bit, which we're hoping on. Now, if you're a childcare owner, a couple things you need to think about is getting your debt paid down. If you're borrowing a lot during this time, you, you want to get some of that debt paid down. If you're sitting on excess cash, which a lot of childcare owners are, paying down debt is a good thing to do right now. And also keeping cash in reserve for expansion opportunities. In 2023, right. it's an going to be an amazing opportunity to expand your childcare business, uh, buy existing schools, and go out, maybe even start a new school. Because I, I think a lot of schools... I think some schools will go under in 2023, mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing for the people that I, I, it's a bad thing for them, obviously. But if you're into expansion and you realize it's become a great opportunity to, to buy those existing schools and that bad recession we had in 2007, 2008, we saw it as an opportunity. We went out and bought three schools during that time. Mm -hmm. So use it as an expansion. It, it, there's always opportunity in every downturn in the economy. It's all about attitude and mindset. And if Absolutely. you're positive about it, you're going to find those opportunities. Can we talk for a second about just real quickly on, you know, the the trade-off between paying, using the cash to pay off some of the debt that they might have accumulated versus keeping cash reserves. Can you talk just a little bit about the discernment between the two and, and what an owner should be thinking about as they choose, okay, what should I do? Yeah, the high interest debt is okay. what you need to pay off. You, you don't want to pay off something with 2% interest or 3% interest. That'd be foolish um, because you're, you're just not. You want to be paying anything that has revolving line of credit. Maybe you had to borrow some money that's at seven being or a credit card that has 17% interest. you got to get that thing paid off mm -hmm. yeah. because the yeah. interest is killing you. And, it, and so look for things that you can pay down. I call it just wasted money because interest is – I haven't paid interest in, I think, 12 years once I realized that that, that is, it's kind of stupid to, to enrich the credit card companies when they'll give you rewards for using them if you don't pay any interest. And you know, American Airlines credit card that I have pays me thousands of dollars a year and I don't pay any interest. So it's a, it's a freebie. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But, but anything high interest right. pay off. Yeah. Anything over 7%, get that thing paid off. Yeah, get it off. off. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so let's look at the forecast. Like, what are you, you're looking at, it, the recession is a good time, but there's a lot of people that are looking at this and really full of a lot of fear and worry. So can you walk us through both sides of it? Like, from a forecasting perspective, where is some of the opportunity and where do people really need to tighten their belts a little bit or or just think a little bit more conservatively because free cash ain't coming anymore. Like, we're done. Well, I would say... People need to just, first of all, like you said, tighten their belts a little bit in ways that they can, but they have to try to put a, maybe a little bit extra away each month just in case there's a time in the near future where, you know, they may not have enough to make payroll, that they have that extra cash to pull back on. And also, like Brian said, opportunities that may come up. So I would just say you really need to look at your spending and where you can cut things like there's several things. I mean, something small that we did is during COVID, we got rid of paper towels and we have hand dryers. Saved us an amazing amount of money just on not buying paper towels. So if you look at your budget and look at every little line item and look at everything you might be able to cut out just to be able to put a little bit more away every month. Another thing is have reserves or have access to reserves. One yeah. thing we've always done is had a home equity line of credit that we could tap in times of trouble yeah. uh, and, and, and always max it out. You don't use it. A home equity line, it's a revolving credit that you pay zero interest on and you use it when you need it. 
And mm-hmm. we've had to tap into that a couple times over the last 20 right. years in times where, you know, to float payroll or things got tough and you temporarily borrow money from yourself and you pay yourself back. Yeah. And uh, having the most money you can access available to need in an emergency will give you that peace of mind. So if something happens and you need to make payroll, you're not panicking and your employees will get paid, which is the most important thing. They get paid first. And Absolutely. Another big thing is if you are very worried about this, don't let your employees know. <laughs> yes. Really? I mean, a lot of owners do that. They their their employees see their stress about what's gonna happen. And then they and, hit yeah. the door. Exactly. And they hit the door because they're yeah. gonna go get that job while they can. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's a cat, it's a bad situation. Yeah. So interesting. We were talking about like going through each item on the budget. My husband and I implemented this maybe a year ago, once a week. Uh, one week a month, we actually don't go buy groceries. We work from whatever's in the house. So we'll buy any fresh vegetables if we need something fresh, um, but we use what's in the house. It's amazing how much you can accumulate when you have four kids, how much f- stuff ends up like, <laughs> in the pantry. Um, and we cook from whatever's in the house. And it has been super fun, creative, and has significantly cut our uh, grocery bill. So again, just using those kind of creative ideas is so helpful in, in tightening the budget. Okay. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we actually did that at our centers oh, for okay. an entire week last year. Nobody had to buy hardly any groceries except, like you said, fresh fruits and vegetables. Everything else, they looked at what was in the pantry and the freezer and, and made up their own meals. I love that. And again, we have so much fun with the kids. I'm like, all right, we got chips, beans, and this. Someone make a dinner. <laughs> like, this is what we got. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun. So tell us. What are some of those real practical action steps that with owners that have limited time, limited attention, what could they be doing right now to really prepare themselves for what the next 12 to 18 months are really going to look like um, in this world? Oh, I would say, first of all, you need to take a good look at your business and your administrative structure. Make sure that you, that everybody that you have on your payroll is actually doing 40 hours worth of work. First of all, (laughs) make sure you're not too top heavy. And because honestly, when a recession hits, it's easier to cut from the top because they're not the ones watching the kids. So if you can look at that, you know, there may be some, some things that you can change for that. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of times when things get really tough, then it's amazing how tight you can get that belt. But the yeah. secret is to try to get that belt tight before you need to get it tight. Yes. Or at least find where the savings is before you need to use it. Right. You don't want to be in panic mode looking for savings. You want to try to find it now. And obviously, with everybody being short staff, if you're top heavy on your admin team, those people could always transition into working in the classroom as well, which right. most people are anyway. But yeah. just be looking for waste. Again, during, a, during tough times, we always tend to shrink the waste. But when things are good right now, we tend to be spending – you know, people are spending probably a lot more money than they should right now. And I think time to start tightening is now while things are still good um, because it, you don't want to go into panic panic mode. We, yeah. we, we never panic. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it, I look at saving as a lifestyle, right? We, mm-hmm. we can't only save or tighten the belt when things get hard. Like saving and being disciplined with our financials and how we look at things is a lifestyle. It's a choice. It becomes like this habit, right? Um, Mike McCallis always says profit is a habit. So I, I love that. What else do you recommend? Keep a good mindset. Smile. Yeah, just when things are down, I mean, some of the best opportunities you have in our business were in the worst times financially. And some of the worst times in financial part of our marriage 
has been the time where we've grown the most. So wow. it's going back and looking at the worst times in your life and realizing, you know what, maybe it's not so bad and you can right. get through it. Things happen. And, you know, we had to close the school once. It just was not performing. And would we look at it as a negative? No, I'm not going to keep a, a center open that's not making money and not profitable. And you know what? You don't hit a home run every time you go up at bat. You're not, you, you don't have to keep schools open that are not performing and not making enough profit. It's okay to close the school. Some people think wow. it is failure. It's not failure. You just found a place that doesn't work. And not all centers work in all locations. It's just go find a center, go find a different location that works better. Could we unpack this mindset a little bit more? Because I think people are going to have to make some of these hard decisions around profitability of a specific location, or if they should go do expansion at their current location or go acquire another center. What are some of either the mindset or the things that an owner should be thinking about when they're like, you know what, maybe I sh maybe I should go, go do um, an expansion or an acquisition or merge with this center over there? What are your long-term goals? That's what I always go in there. So, you know, we, Carol and I always sit down every every couple of years and we do long term, we do short term, we do short term more often. But we sure. look at our long term goals. So we should always know where you're going to be five and 10 years. So if your long term goals, you want to have seven centers and you have one, well, you have, have to put an expansion plan in place. Mm -hmm. And do you want to do one center a year for seven years or do you want to do seven in one year and then and then pull your hair out, probably die of a heart attack in year two, because it's a lot of work. Trust me, I, I know somebody who did it. It's a lot. So you have to have a plan. Without a plan, you're never going to do. And and you got to have capital, too. It, right. You can't just do it with zero money. You know, the, if you can have a minimum, probably a 10%, if SBA funds you. Um, we've never used SBA. We've actually fund, find a lot, funded our own expansion out of pocket uh, without having to borrow, which has been great. And there are going to be amazing opportunities out there, but you have to get, you have to have a plan in place first. And goal setting is so important. You can't just say, hey, I think I'm going to go expand. You'll never do it because tomorrow will never come. Tomorrow never comes. It's always tomorrow. And some people are always living for tomorrow or living for yesterday. They're always looking in the past or always looking in the future and never living for today. So today set a plan in motion and then every day start working towards that goal. And I'm telling you, you can have, if you want, you can go from zero to a hundred schools in 20 years. Or you could be happy with one. There's nothing wrong with owning one school. You know, you don't have to expand. Just do that one the best you can. Yeah. I love that. Know your goals. Like, know and know your values, right? Like, you might not be the person or ambitions that wants 100 centers or 30 centers or whatever it is. And it's just so happy with their one amazing or two amazing locations. So I appreciate you sharing this perspective because I think the winning mindset really comes from knowing what you want to win at. Brian and Carol, where can people go to find more about the work that you're doing in the childcare world? Yeah, childcaregenius.com is where we do. We have a podcast that we just love to get information out to people yeah. and help. And we love you, honey. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much for joining me. This was so, so special. I really enjoyed connecting with you both. You bet. Well, that's a wrap for the 2023 ECE forecast experts predictions and trends for what's coming in 2023 creating this uh, podcast series interviewing each expert all of the work that goes into putting together a massive series like this one which combined is over three and a half hours 
of incredible content and training for you all has been just one of the really joys of my life during this quarter and putting this together. And the reason for that is, is because the Schools of Excellence podcast is really committed to bringing excellence to you every single week, bringing great content, great ideas, insight, mindset, strategies, all the things that you need to succeed in your role in leading your childcare business or school. And so I'm just really proud of what we put together and I hope that you enjoyed it. And I would absolutely love to hear from you. If you can take a moment and rate and leave us a review on iTunes and just let us know how you enjoyed this podcast series, or if you enjoyed some other podcast episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Reviews help other school leaders find out about the Schools of Excellence podcast. So if you've enjoyed this and found value and want to share the joy and spread it with other people, rating and leaving us a review really helps other leaders find out about it. The other thing I want to share with you is all of the links that any of the uh, experts shared is all inside of the show notes of every single episode. So if you listen to a particular expert in part one or part two, and you're looking for any of the references um, or resources that they share, definitely check the show notes. You can find that in any of the apps where you listen to um, your podcast or on our Schools of Excellence website where the entire show notes episode page is. All of the links are inside there as well. So you could definitely check that out as well. If you have any questions about any of the topics that were covered today, or you want to see more of these conversations, please join us in the Schools of Excellence Lounge, where we can continue the conversation inside of there. Thank you so much for joining us for the 2023 ECE forecast. Really appreciate you joining us every single week, and I hope to see you next week. Take care. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.